This week's Coming of Age episode is sponsored by OLTCA's sector champion, Plan A, powered by StaffStat. It's through their ongoing partnership and generous support that we are able to host our thought-provoking podcast. Stay tuned to the end of today's episode to learn more about Plan A, powered by StaffStat. We have to support them. And so by making the profession a good job, that will attract the medical residents and the medical schools so that they choose family medicine. Even if they choose it, we have losses after that. And the reason is, as I said, is that they get trained in this really rich model with interprofessional care. But when they go into practice, what's available to them is not that. What's available to them is working by themselves. This is Coming of Age, meeting the needs of our aging population podcast about how we can better support our seniors. I'm your host, Donna Duncan. I'm also the CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, which represents about 70% of long-term care homes in Ontario, Canada. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Kim Moran, CEO of the Ontario College of Physicians, to our podcast. An accountant by training, Kim is also the former CEO of Children's Mental Health Ontario and, full disclosure, a former colleague of mine from the mental health world. Kim brings a unique perspective to the debate on public policy and healthcare and always comes to the table with solutions, not just challenges. Really delighted to have you join us today on uh, Coming of Age. We know that our healthcare system, not only in Ontario, across Canada, North America, but around the world, we, we are all challenged. And in large part, we're challenged by a, a big wave of an aging population. What do we need to do today to stabilize, to support our aging population? And from your membership perspective, what discussions are you having about change and what needs to happen now? It's important that we sort of talk about the problem. Where do we see the problems and the issues? Because, you know, our current state is really precarious, I would say, right now. And we need to be thoughtful about that as we think about solutions uh, going forward. We know that the majority of doctors working in long-term care are family doctors. And right now, that group of family doctors providing that care tend to be older and at the later stages of their career. And that's important because what we're seeing across the province is that more family doctors are retiring and there aren't enough new doctors coming in. And so that's contributing to a crisis that we're seeing where 1.8 million Ontarians don't have a family doctor. So it's only going to get worse as more doctors retire and fewer medical school graduates enter this profession. That wave of retirements is going to hit harder in long-term care because of the population of doctors serving long-term care. So we have kind of the confluence of many different problems coming together that really are going to have a huge impact on our seniors. And so when we think about all of those pieces coming together, I and many others are very worried about it. You know, if we step back a little bit and think about family physicians more generally and what they're facing, because I think that context is going to be important in this conversation, is that family doctors are being asked to do more and they're working longer hours. 
So what we're hearing is sometimes 60 to 80 hours a week. And there's no real stretch to, to give right now. And sometimes that means the doctors are burning out. And it also has some concerns about the care, right? Is that how much more care they can deliver. And it's not true for just family doctors working in long-term care, but it's true for all family doctors. The other trend that's important, and it really connects with your initial statement about the demographics of the increasing uh, number of people who are older, is that we're seeing far more complex cases. So family doctors are asked to deal with uh, very complex uh, health uh, cases, primarily in seniors. You know, people are living longer, but not always in good health. So the thing that I'm very worried about is that we put all of this context together. And it has some very alarming signs here. You know, the reality is many family physicians are leaving their practices and fewer are entering them. Just at the time when we need, we have an increasing amount of seniors who need more complex care. And that complex care is really only delivered by family physicians. It, they are the only ones who have it within their scope of practice. There aren't others who can help do that kind of care. And so we really have a real crisis that we can see in the often. I think it's it's that broader context. And, and we've been asked, why does the Ontario Long-Term Care Association care about primary care? Why are we talking about home care? Why are we talking about acute care? Uh, why are we talking about mental health and community care? And the reality is that we don't have enough spaces in our long-term care homes to accommodate the need that exists today. So we have about 40,000 people in Ontario waiting for uh, more specialized care in our long-term care homes across the province. Uh, we have a critical staffing shortage, uh, to your point. We know that in Ontario, our, our hospitals are telling us it's going to be a three to five year recovery from the pandemic. We know home care has crashed. This puts pressure on our primary care providers in local communities. And so if we don't have primary care in, in communities, our long-term care homes, our families don't plan for long-term care, but when they need it, they need it urgently and desperately. We don't have the capacity, which means that puts pressure on primary care providers because we know that home care has crashed through this as well. So we, we really are facing a perfect storm. And as we think about our seniors who, as they age, have very uh, a multiplicity of issues and to your point, more complex issues, it's going to take all of us working together and, and we can't look at long-term care in a vacuum. We can't look at primary care in a vacuum. We can't look at hospital acute care in a vacuum and we can't look at home care in a vacuum. How do we make sure we look at the people we are here collectively to serve? I do think that, you know, we've got some solutions that I think will help avert some of these crises, uh, but we have to start now. If we don't start now, we're going to be in a really dire place, which is never, as you know, when good solutions come out. Our, our solutions fall into kind of three big, I'm going to say buckets or categories. The first is around really getting to a place where doctors are working at the top of their scope, that we have teams in place and all members of that team of healthcare professionals can work at the top of their scope. Because by doing so, you create more access to care more generally. 
The second is around reducing the administrative burden that doctors face so that we free up more direct patient care time. And that just makes good logical sense that we would want our professionals to be have as much direct patient care as possible and the minimum of admin work that ties them up. And then the third piece is around increasing uh, recruitment and retention strategies in the profession as well. So let me start with why we want uh, more doctors to be working in teams. Right now, sort of what we've seen is family physicians work in, say, sole practices. Historically, what's happened is a doctor has hung up their shingle and they have provided care to their patients just by themselves, particularly with a medical receptionist. They might have a nurse, but many don't. They just have themselves and they provide all of that kind of care. Well, when you think about the complexity of care that's needed, what we want to do is espouse the idea of having a team looking after patients. So for elderly, and I'll, I'll give the example of, of my dad. My dad has uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, he lives at home with my mother. And, you know, we really are trying right now to forestall long-term care, which is what you're talking about. How do we make it easier to keep patients in the community? And so what we found is when doctors work in team, we have much better outcomes for patients. We have much more efficiency in our healthcare system. So it's not only cost effective, but it's producing much better outcomes. And the evidence is very clear about that. These are models that have been used around the world. So there was a project that the Petawawa Centennial Family Health Center initiated in 2021. And what this innovative program did was enable unattached patients to enroll with a named family physician. The physicians were fully supported by a family health team, community paramedics, and health link care coordinators. And patients have access to all the aspects of comprehensive primary care with options for in-person, at-home, virtual care, depending on what they need and their preferences. Physicians deliver care remotely by telephone, video, and secure messages. Nurse practitioners and a range of allied health professionals provide in-clinic care. Community paramedics and health link nurses provide at-home care options. Telemedicine options allow the patients to come to clinic, be supported by a nurse, and have a video encounter with their family physician. It is super creative. And what that did was say, we just don't have enough family physicians in this area. How are we going to enable everybody to work to the top of their scopes with the healthcare professionals that are available in our communities, and it has delivered some really amazing outcomes. Now, is it expandable to every community in the province? Probably not. There are local conditions about what professionals are on the ground, but it gives you an example of some of the innovation that's coming in primary care, That and the principles of that can be applied across multiple communities. So that's just an idea of how or why we think team-based care is really the answer in improving access, improving uh, the quality of care. The story Kim presented is a great example of a program that's working. There are a lot of health system discussions right now around building services and supports based on the needs of the individuals in their local communities within the context of their local communities. But are local solutions enough? Or do we need fundamental structural reform? I asked Kim that question. Uh, 
I think that the notion is, is that because primary care, there's many providers, there's many family physicians, there's many nurse practitioners, that it's complicated to build solutions in primary care. So as a result, the time and energy the government spends and on government writ large tends to be on hospitals rather than in primary care. And my flag to everybody would be, and my encouragement would be, is that primary care is actually has some great ideas and that we can work shoulder to shoulder with government to build out some solutions that are going to be locally informed and that will really change, as you said, the foundation of the system becoming primary care. So my plea to the minister is bring us to the table. We have terrific solutions that'll really allow you to lean into the notion that primary care is the foundation of the healthcare system. You're running a campaign now with your members, Life Without a Doctor. Can you speak to your campaign, what's behind it, but also what you and your uh, members may be hearing from the individuals you serve in your local communities? Are are you getting a a strong response on it? And how do we help to amplify those messages together? Our campaign Life Without a Doctor was really to articulate to the public and our politicians and, you know, generally across our healthcare community that, that family physicians, that primary care is in crisis. That, you know, with the number of unattached patients at 1.3 million, that is of huge concern. And our forecasts are that it's going to get much, much worse in a very short time period. So over the four-year term of the new government and the new minister, we expect that it's going to increase by threefold. So that means that one out of every five patients in Ontario will not have a family physician. And that has a huge repercussion not only of keeping uh, the elderly in their homes and safe, but also in long-term care itself. Because if we go back to the beginning of our conversation, is that family physicians provide the bulk of care in long-term care. So the knock-on impact of that figure is really quite astonishing. So we wanted to bring attention to this crisis and to get people thinking about it. You know, we've had some good success in terms of engaging the politicians. I think they are engaged. Our research also very interestingly showed that the public also recognizes this is a critical issue for the public, that they too see this as a problem and they too believe that government should act on this urgently. We have solutions that can get started right now and provide real change in a short period of time. It just requires the government to lean in on this and to bring us to the table. It, it does speak to the need for those relationships, people who know you, who know your history, who know your family members, because we've certainly seen family members emerge, family members like yourself, Kim, as essential caregivers who are the people who are supporting their parents in navigating the healthcare system. If we can't accommodate individuals in our long-term care homes, then the pressure will be on primary care and it will be more on hospitals. So if we don't have the the tools and supports to support people aging in their homes, then the pressure on the acute care system only gets worse. As we think about who your parents are versus what you may want as, as you age or what I may want, 
who are we building a system for and what are we going to be willing to accept? I'm wondering if, if there are some other examples you could, could speak to around what are some of these incremental steps? I think one of the things that I am quite passionate about it, and it's because of my background and my training as a, as a, as a CPA, is that our doctors are caught up too much behind their computer with uh, outdated systems that don't talk to each other. We have done a whole lot of work in health information systems to build out technology. The problem we have is we haven't connected them all. So the imaging systems don't interact with the electronic patient uh, medical record systems, which don't interact with the hospital systems, which don't interact. You know, it goes on and on and on. And so what physicians will talk about is they get to their computer in the morning and the amount of blinking lights of reports they have to look at is not distinguishable between the most important and the least important. And unfortunately, the way we've developed it is that the the physician as the most responsible healthcare provider has to look at all these things. One of the things you should just think about that everybody should think about is when a family physician refers to a specialist, which happens all the time, most of it is done by facts, if you can believe it. Like, honestly, and we know that 5% of faxes don't go through properly. We have solutions that are ready to go. They just need to be expanded. They need the government to just lean into these things and make it happen. Can you imagine my elderly father trying to sort out why he hasn't seen a specialist yet or getting messaging he doesn't understand or trying to follow up on a fact? Like, that's just impossible. So to me, that's easy. We know that over the last two and a half years, we've learned to do things differently especially on technology, as you've talked about that so succinctly. I'm wondering where flexibility fits into this. As we think about the younger baby boomers, so those who are in their 60s today and who will be in their 80s in another uh, 15 years, they get things when they want them. They're using Uber. They're using Uber Eats and food delivery apps. I know my, uh, I have a new family physician. Uh, I book my appointments online. I get emails in real time from my physician uh, giving me test results. I can go online and see my results from, from the, the labs and, and diagnostics. That's, as I think about me aging, that's a different world. And so how do we make sure that we're building the system in a way and adapting it and building in flexibility to respond to the demographic wave that's coming as opposed to the one that's just been? I think it's sort of unleashing innovation, right? And how do we how do we do that? We must increase the time that family doctors can spend providing direct patient care. Another solution is we currently, family doctors are not doing the work they aspire to. One way to address that is to reduce the administrative burden for family doctors because they currently spend 20% or more of their time on administrative work, time that could be better spent with patients. Like I can tell you that family doctors are probably some of the most creative problem solvers that I've ever met. And what, what we need to do is be able to harness that and spread and scale the innovation in a way that makes sense. If they have a team behind them, including an administrator, who can do that kind of change management piece, they're going to get it done. But if they're working as a sole practitioner, it is very difficult for them to make those kind of massive 
changes to their practice. I mean, you know, uh, as I said, as a CPA, I understand that implementing that on the ground takes a lot of work and a lot of time. And so some of the solutions we have in terms of helping those things along is there's something called practice uh, facilitation. And those are people who have the kind of skill sets who can help a doctor who's working solely in a small practice, um, you know, a group of doctors, say six to eight doctors who come in and really implement that for the physician. So I think if we are, are mindful that physicians are extraordinarily busy, how do we move forward this kind of innovation? We can get that done. Uh, family doctors have piloted this. They know what to do. We just need to get some more change management, I would say, and people on the ground who can help them do that. So during the pandemic, of course, as you said, lots of innovation occurred in, in sort of real time. Established in March 2020, there was a COVID-19 assessment center as part of the provincial response to the pandemic. And they completed 52,000 family physician virtual assessments, over 67,000 COVID-19 tests, more than 5,400 community paramedic home visits, and they had 200 people, mostly elderly, being added to a remote monitoring program. Patients are predominantly those currently without a family physician. The family physicians in these models work remotely, but they su are supported again, as in the other model I suggested, with supports from paramedics and other staff located at multiple centers within communities. The findings around emergency department attendance, hospital admissions, total health care costs are being evaluated right now and submitted for publication. But I can tell you that everybody is very enthusiastic about this because there is a dramatic effect in this geography uh, on the hospitals and the hospitalization. And the patients really, really appreciated it. Now, I know that many people will say, well, but for the elderly, these types of virtual, virtual assessments don't really work. Well, they do if they're supported properly. If you have a paramedic on site and you have a family physician available virtually, they can work and they do work. And harnessing this kind of innovation is going to be critical because, you know, looping back to the previous part of our conversation, there are lots of unattached patients now. There's a million three is going to increase by threefold over the next four years. We have to harness innovation to solve this issue. When I, I, I love the examples that you're using because it, it, it speaks volumes and, and those, those numbers are huge. What I really value as well is you're just not talking about primary care providers. That scope of practice is how do we ensure that all disciplines, all, all uh, physicians, uh, nurses, allied health professionals, paramedics, everyone is working to their full scope of practice. And let's look at scope of practice. Who does what? Who needs to do what? And how do we work together? It really is about collaboration and it's anchored, as you framed it, it's anchored not in architecture and buildings. It's anchored in people. Earlier in our interview, Kim spoke about the impact of burnout, the lack of technology, the burden of paperwork and administration, and other pressures on our primary care providers. I asked Kim to share her thoughts on how we can attract new physicians in this environment and how we can better support and retain them. So family medicine residency positions go unmatched. 
That means that medical students are not choosing family medicine as their specialty. And that is super sad. That is a critical issue because we know that there are more doctors retiring in the next five years than are like than we have new medical graduates choosing family medicine. And that's going to create that shortage that we've talked about, that threefold increase in unattached patients. So this is a critical issue. The solution, though, is to make the profession itself more attractive. The solution is to make sure that doctors can practice in team-based care, that they feel well-supported doing it. We have to, I've said it quite colloquially, we have to make it a good job. Right now, it is not a good job. Right now, doctors working too long hours, they are not working in the type of practices where they can really provide that kind of comprehensive longitudinal care that they want to. Um, They are as I said, stuck behind their computer doing admin work for way too many hours. They are not interested in doing that. They want to provide direct patient care to the complicated patient. That's what gets them up and out of bed in the morning. It's the patient care piece. The complexity excites them. They understand they are the ones that in in the healthcare system can provide that care and they embrace that and they want to do more of it. We have to support them to do that. And so by making the profession a good job, that will attract the medical residents and the medical schools so that they choose family medicine. And even more so that even if they choose it, we have losses after that. And the reason is, as I said, is that they get trained in this really rich model with interprofessional care, working at the top of their scope with the most complicated patients. And they're really excited by that. But when they go into practice, What's available to them is not that. What's available to them is working by themselves. And that is not what they want to do. It is a very difficult practice model. Many doctors will say, Kim, I, I, I don't want to be a business person. I just want to provide care to my patients. And, you know, for those of us who did choose to become business people, it is a specific set of uh, qualities and characteristics. And the thing is, we have models that are available here in Ontario that work, that have an interprofessional care. We know what we want. We know that it works. We know that it generates better health outcomes. We just need the government to unlock that, to make sure that every family physician who wants to practice in that model can. And that will attract uh, new medical students. That will mean that we won't have unmatched spots. So Really, it's all these solutions we've been talking about are really what's going to make this this work, the family physician, a great job. Wow, what a great uh, point to end on. Certainly, we've seen this in our long-term care homes as we try to destigmatize aging, destigmatize long-term care, destigmatize the people who are working in our long-term care homes. We know it's not just about compensation. We how we demonstrate value and and the fact that what our teams are doing really matters and that it it it, it is about having purpose, it is about having impact, and it, it is about really validating the people we're there to care for and ensuring that you have the skills and tools and competencies that scope of practice, those partnerships, uh, and the tools, whether they're it's technology or uh, administrative uh, support. 
really delighted to be able to work with you on this, Kim. And and thank you to you and your members uh, for your leadership at such a pivotal time. I'm so glad to have you where you are today. So thank you. I do think there's loads of hope. I think, you know, when I see some of the innovative models, it is amazing what we can do. When I listen to family physicians who are so dedicated, so excited about providing care, particularly to our seniors and working through the complexity. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning. That gives me hope. And so I think that you're right. I think that let's collectively encourage the government to really move fast. Um, because if they don't, uh, we really, I, I am worried about the future, but, but there is hope if we get going as soon as possible on these solutions. My discussion with Kim echoed what we've been hearing in conversations, including on this podcast. When we have professional shortages and concerns about burnout, as we currently have with the family doctors, but also with nurses, personal support workers, and our broader health system workforce, we need to ensure we're providing supports that can free up their time so that they can focus on providing care to those they serve. Society has changed and we're asking far more of our health professionals and asking far more of them at a greater speed than ever before. As Kim says, it's important to find ways to ensure that being a family doctor or any other healthcare provider is a good job, a supported job, and a job that allows for a personal life. This week's Coming of Age episode is sponsored by OLTCA's sector champion, Plan A, powered by StaffStat. Does your home have a staffing strategy in place? StaffStat automates your shift filling process and intuitively predicts shift needs. Plan A works in tandem with StaffStat, offering homes a backup staffing model that supports employees and keeps residents safe and cared for. Learn more at jointheateam.com. Thank you for listening to Coming of Age, meeting the needs of our aging population. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate our show five stars, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm your host, Donna Duncan. Keep well. Keep well.